Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. So we are talking about God's sovereignty this week, and again, we have uh, Pastor Alan Burrow with us from King's Congregation. Glad you could be with us today. I'm happy to be here. And then the other two normal fellas, Phil and Jonathan, uh, our fellow brother pastor, Russ Herman, is on vacation, so we hope that he has a great time this week. So we are continuing on our conversation with God's sovereignty, and I want to dive right into pop culture today. In one of the most recent DC movies, Batman versus Superman, see, we're getting really high tech here, you know, uh, Lex Luthor at one point is philosophizing about the problem of evil. And I think this is helpful because we can engage the culture on, you know, even on the level of movies here. Now, I think this is brilliant what he does because he takes this fairly complex problem and he summarizes it very well. He says this, if God is all loving, he would want to end suffering. If he's all powerful, he could end suffering. Since there is suffering in the world, God cannot be both all-loving and all-powerful. Now, of course, that type of thinking is not limited to uh, movies. MSNBC news anchor Martin Bashir interviewed Rob Bell after the tsunami hit Japan in 2011, and he basically said the same thing. He says, which of these is true? Either God is all-powerful, but he doesn't care about the people of Japan, and therefore they're suffering. Or he does care about the people of Japan, but he's not all-powerful. So which one is it? So, Brother Pastors, how do we answer this question? Uh, one of the first things I, I would say about it, and uh, I, I think you're right, uh, even though uh, I've got to confess I've not seen Batman versus Superman. And you are so outdated. I am so <laughs> outdated, and I will remain so. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> He, he does, you know, the, the character does very well stated. If God is all loving, he would want to end suffering. If he's all powerful, he could end suffering. Since there is suffering in the world, God cannot be both all loving and all powerful. But I, I've got to say in response to that, that I love what uh, one of my heroes, J.I. Packer, says in his classic book, Loving God. And I certainly I recommend that book to, to every believer. Is that, that ought to be on your, uh, uh, knowing, knowing God ought to be on your bookshelf. But Packer points out that this whole question of how can God be both all-loving and all-powerful is a very modern question. And that prior to modern times, believers would have thought, Christian believers would have thought it a very strange question to ask or even wrestle with. Because believers saw, and, and they were tutored in Scripture, and they saw it in their own experience, that suffering is a part of this life. As Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. Fear not, I have overcome the world. And that suffering is part of what God uses to shape us for eternity, to shape us to be more like Christ, that God, God is at work in suffering. God is not the, the cause of suffering, but God, God is at work in it. And uh, God is sovereign over it. And God is working out his good purpose 
in it and through it. So my, I guess my answer would be, it's the wrong question. Uh, and, and, it, and it misses who God is and, and how God's sovereignty works in, in the world. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, assumptions that are in that question, and there are assumptions that we need to bring out and, and we need to put on the table. And the other thing we need to do is those who are bringing up those questions, because they're cross-examination questions, they're rhetorical questions, to bring a charge against God, basically, or for people to offer up as a reason for why I would never believe in a God like that. But we need to require the people who are asking this question to ante up. It's like, what's the alternative? And what are the consequences of the alternative you propose? Because the unstated assumption is that, you know, on the one hand, if God is sovereign, then we can't be free and he's responsible for evil and all of these things. On the other hand, their assumption is if we can just get sovereign God out of the picture, then we are free. But mm-hmm. that's not true. And I would point to, for example, uh, two years ago, 2016, June 2016, in The Atlantic, major publication, there was an article by a philosopher Stephen Cave in which he argued as a logical matter because, as Carl Sagan would have said, you know, the cosmos is all that is, has ever been, or ever will be. In other words, pure naturalism, which is the philosophy of the modern age, he said free will is a myth. It, it's In other words, logically, if the cosmos is all that is, then you end up with a pure materialistic determinism, and there is no way out of that box. And he said free will is completely a myth. We're completely determined by genes and by environmental stimuli, and that's it. And he said there's no other logical place to go. Mm-hmm. Now, he did acknowledge that people don't function very well if they believe there is no free will and they don't make their own decisions. But the thing is, so the alternative, which is a naturalism, does not lead us to freedom. Right. And so all of a sudden, this the view presented by the Bible that because God is sovereign, we are free. Because God is sovereign, we make our own decisions for our own reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're free agents. That's what philosophers call free mm-hmm. agency. Um, all of a sudden, that starts looking like a lot more reasonable of a position, even though we can't fully explain it. God never in the Bible undertakes to explain to us why the sovereign God allowed sin or evil to come into the world. But there are some things that we can say from what God tells us in the Bible and what he demonstrates for us in the Bible. For one thing, God created us as his image, which is another way of saying he created us as his sons and daughters. He created us to reflect him, to be like him. One of the things that we can say is that while we would know the love of God, we would not know the full extent of the love of God or God, or the full extent of his hatred for evil, that mm-hmm. which takes uh, that which is created good and twists it and turns it and perverts it you know, death, anti-life, all of these things, we would never know the full extent of how God takes evil and he takes death and he buries it in the grave. Mm -hmm. And he becomes one of us and goes to the cross to do so. We would never know the full extent of his hatred for death and evil and of his love for us Mm -hmm. if he didn't do it the way he did it. 
That's right. Yeah, I don't think the Bible gives us a full answer to the problem of evil, but it does give us some hints along the way. You know, we recognize that evil isn't an illusion. It actually is real. Um, You know, we know that uh, Jesus himself is described as the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So we know know that. We know that um, God isn't capricious or arbitrary. Um, He doesn't act irrationally. Uh, He doesn't uh, permit and allow these things uh, to happen purposelessly. You know, we don't know why it happened, why these things happened, um, but we, but we, and we don't actually have all the reasons behind it. But uh, you know, we also we we know that who God is, and and uh, and and this is not the best of all worlds. And He's actually, we've got a new heavens and a new earth coming. And until Christ returns, we'll deal with tempests and earthquakes and floods and sufferings and all those other things until we have this new creation. Evil is not ultimate. Um, Christianity doesn't deny the horrors of evil, but it, it doesn't have uh, doesn't regard this evil as having a power equal to or over God. So the Bible's final word on evil is that, uh, that uh, God will triumph. Creation groans in, and intervale as it waits for the full redemption of sons, um, and Christ, who triumphed over the powers of evil, is going to make all things new. Yeah. One, one, one other thought here: when Erasmus complained about the un, uh, the apparent unfairness of in human history, he cried out, "Let God be good!" and and he impl- he insult assaults the righteousness of God. But Martin Luther replied to Erasmus, let God be God. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. Yeah. Yep, amen. Um, you know, the, the question comes down to, is God sovereign over evil? We've been talking about the sovereignty of God. Does God's sovereignty extend even to evil? And, and the, the answer of the Bible is yes, absolutely. And the the chief example, there's there's no greater illustration than the cross of Jesus. Yes. Uh, that in, in, the, in the human sense, all of the human actors who put Jesus on the cross are they're operating freely from the human perspective and they're operating out of evil. Mm-hmm. And behind them, of course, is, is Satan, the evil one, um, who, who thinks that he will you know, defeat the Son of God. And uh, all of these actors you know, doing evil uh, whether it's the religious authorities or uh, the, the Roman authorities, uh, Pilate, uh, whether it's the crowd that says, crucify him, crucify him, all of them acting out of evil, and yet all of them under the sovereignty of God. One, one of the things we said earlier is that Christians, ultimately, we don't have an explanation of evil, and that's true. Ultimately, we cannot say, this is where evil comes from. That, that's not something we're given an answer to, but we know it's real. Yeah. It's not an illusion. Yeah. Uh, but we can say this, because of the cross of Jesus, there is no evil so dark that God cannot turn it for good, that he will turn it for his purpose, for his victory. Yes. I want to give one more example and then and kind of tie this show to a conclusion. So there was a movie that came out a few years ago called God's Not Dead. And it's basically a story of a Christian who goes to college and his atheistic professor tries to talk him out of his belief in God. And there was a series of discussions, and the very last kind of discussion that came up was this problem of evil. 
Uh, and uh, the Christian character, Josh Wheaton, basically says that uh, the reason why uh, God allows evil to exist is because of free will. God allows evil to exist uh, so that man can exercise free will. And I find that answer deeply unsatisfying because uh, God could have uh, restrained free will in such a way where uh, that was not practiced towards evil. I don't think that's the right answer, and I don't think that's the answer the Bible gives. In Romans 9, we have this clear answer from Paul where Paul says, you will say to me then, why does God still find fault for who can resist his will? Now, at that point in the conversation, Paul could say, oh, wait a minute, you're hearing me wrong. I'm not saying that people can't resist the will of God, but he doesn't say that. He, he, he basically affirms the right. antecedent. Um, and then the answer he gives is he says, what if after, – after he says, of course, who are you to talk back to God? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, but he says, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction – in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. In other words, let me summarize it from my perspective. God could have created a world in which there was no evil. He created this world. And there's a good reason for it. Because he wanted to show us the most of his glory. And the most of his glory is seen in the person of Jesus Christ who came and destroyed sin and death. Just The justice of God is seen by God pouring out his wrath upon his own son. And the mercy of God is seen in Jesus Christ forgiving sinners. That's why ultimately evil exists. And that's the biblical answer in Romans 11.32, which is the summation of Paul's whole argument. He says, therefore, God has consigned all to disobedience. In other words, God has taken both Jew and Gentile and has ordained the fall so that he could show mercy on all. And that's ultimately the reason for all things is that God would be glorified in the world. Well, this is the Gospel for Life. We thank you for joining us today. You can go to ReformationBoise.com to catch up on our past broadcasts or get details on our annual conference. We'll see you next time. 